So we've been in this series, Crazy Love, and I hope you've been embracing all the extra stuff that we've given to you. Now, I hear people in church say this all the time, I'm just not being fed. Well, I'll tell you something, you ain't being fed because you ain't gone to the kitchen because the refrigerator's full here at First Wimberley. Uh, we've added stuff on our website, extracurriculum that goes with each one of these talks, not the repeating of the talk, but extra of the talk. I had a guy today who's actually probably in his middle 70s. He says, I listened to you on the weekend, and I listened to you again to make sure I got all this needed. I think I'll need to listen to you a third time. And I think he keeps falling asleep. That's what I think. But, uh, <laughs> but it's that extra stuff. Plus, in your bulletin, we have Take the Weekend with you. Hope you'll use that as a daily devotional guide because we want to do, we want to give you everything we can. Why? Because we love you. That's why. And because we care about you becoming like Jesus, that's why. I'm not sitting around thinking of something to do. God called me to preach, not to work. That's a joke, y'all. Okay. So, but that, we wanted to give that to you so you have extra things and, and it builds your life. Now, the small group curriculum, where the curriculum is provided on the website, you can use that in your small group, in your Bible study, two or three of you at a coffee shop. It's a launch point to conversation. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Now, we... Uh, you know, I don't think you guys got a chance to greet one another, did you, this morning? So why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say, leave me alone. I want to listen to this talk this morning, okay? Yeah, just, and just say hi to some folks. Now, don't get up and go roaming around, all right? This is going to take forever. Yeah. That's good. That's good. All right, that's enough of that. This just broke out into some kind of crazy thing. We share a commonality together. All of us, all of us have the experience of being broken. Now, last week when I said we are the fellowship of the broken, I had some people look at me funny like, how dare you? How dare you declare that we're broken? Well, you know what? Suck it up, buttercup. You are. We're all marred by sin and depravity. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all broken. But Jesus loves you so much, he does not want to leave you broken. He doesn't want you to wallow in your brokenness. He wants you to run free in his healing and his forgiveness and his power and grace. But we share a commonality of the broken. There's a song that I remember singing in my childhood in the church I grew up with. Come ye sinners poor and needy. That's a haunting melody. And what it does, it, it just accentuates that I'm a sinner and I'm poor and I'm needy and I need Jesus to do something in me, for me, before he does something through me for his glory. Now, today we're going to be talking about moving past, oh, almost fell off, moving past <laughs> your past. I almost moved past and passed out or passed away right here. Y'all had been off the hook. You'd gone home early. What happened to church today? Well, preacher died. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Revival broke loose. Anyway, okay. Moving past your past. How do you get over some of the stuff that you've lived with? Now, I've, I've studied this and looked at this, this topic of generational sin for a long time. When I first started looking at generational sin, it made me mad. I said, you know, that gum. 
Why do I have to put up with the nonsense of my grandfather or his father? Why does that stuff keep washing up on me? Why, why is that? Why did the Lord say, I'm going to visit the sins of the children to the third and fourth generation? Why does he say that? That's just not fair. Just not fair. And when I, I think through that, and I, I just you know, realize that maybe God wants to do something in my life. Now, I want you to write this down, that the study guide I provided for you. Write this down. Your brokenness can define you or refine you. Define or refine. The outcomes depends upon your response to Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to let this response or this sin that's been passed down to you be who you are or who you used to be or what your family used to be. Uh, we were, Tara and I drove to Dallas, so actually to Rockwall uh, this weekend. I had a friend of ours pass away and I went and did his funeral and we were driving up there and there's lots of country music between here and there. Did y'all know that? And I was listening to Hank Williams Jr., Bo Cephas. And he said, if I get stoned and, drink and sing all night long, it's just a family tradition. See, y'all don't act all spiritual. Y'all listen to both Cephas too. Yeah, we church people, we don't listen to both Cephas unless we're by ourselves. <laughs> the family tradition of generational sin. And, and it can define us or refine us. I look at both Cephas and said, bless your heart, shouldn't you known your daddy was an idiot and you could have moved past that. But he repeats that. Last week, I talked about the choice of do you want it all from Jesus, the, the, the forgiveness of sin and the forgiveness of being sinned against. Do you really want it all from Jesus? And so that question remains with us today. Do we really want Jesus to do something incredible in our lives? Now, just like uh, we have genetics, DNA, physical genetics, where we have, you know, traits and, and things that come down through our generations. In fact, uh, DNA research has become a multi-billion-dollar-a-year industry. I don't know if you know that. When they when they say find out who you are, <laughs> we were watching this commercial on TV, and this lady says, "I didn't know who I was," and I looked at her and said, "You're Nigerian." And then she said, "Then I found out I was a Nigerian." I said, "I could have saved you a hundred bucks. You could have just swung by the house and said, you're Nigerian,' because I've been to Nigeria. She looked like a Nigerian. It's just like duh." But they're selling you something you probably really don't need at prices you can't afford. And if you got to know them from people you probably don't even like. But that's salesmanship. Just like you have a, a genetic DNA, you also have what's called epigenetics. Epigenetics is behavioral DNA. That some of you will have the same facial expressions of your father or, or your mother or the same gait, the same walking of your parents. You'll look at your kids and you'll say, you look just like your grandfather. Our little granddaughter, Ivy, she's a gorgeous, brilliant, beautiful child, an exceptional child, the most wonderful, precious child that's ever graced the planet except for Jesus. <laughs> and she looks just like her daddy. And she acts just like her daddy. She is her daddy made over. We just look at her and shake her head. That's a John Peace baby right there. There's, that's, her, that's her daddy. Now, there's another one on the way, 
and they're praying against her being like her Pop Scott. But anyway, that's a whole other prayer. But we have epigenetics, epigenetics. So next time your wife starts acting like her mother, you should say to her, dear, you're displaying your mother's epigenetics. Best just keep your mouth shut. That'd probably be the best, the best choice. But we have also, we have spiritual epigenetics, our spiritual DNA, that things are passed down to us from one generation to another. And I want to be free. Weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you. Full of pity, love, and power. What am I going to do with this? Do I want to live in the sin curse of generational sin, or do I want to be free? Now, I want you to look at this passage. In fact, I want you to read this passage out loud with me. It's going to be up on the screen. Let's read it together. Let's see if you read better than the first service. I had to stop them and start them again. They were kind of, maybe a lot of Aggies. I don't know, but oh, I'm teasing. Uh, Sort of. Okay, let's read together. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children to the entire families affected, even the children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Have you ever seen that passage of Scripture? Some of you have and some of you haven't. And it's, it's a classic Hebrew theology where it talks about part A and part B. It's called a chiasm, actually, part A and part B. And you look at this in this classic thoughts of, and I underline something, those who reject me. And it sounds to me there's this curse that lingers over people who don't do anything with it, who just ignore it or allow it and they live under it. But for those who love me, there's the blessing to the thousandth generation. So let's lean into that for a second. Here's a short list of what I call spiritual epigenetics or generational sins. Here they are. There's addictions, all sorts of addictions, um, whether it be chemical or whatever. Lying. Anger. Guys, any of y'all ever just get mad? Do you ever get mad when you're driving? Don't drive in Austin then. I mean, 35, Interstate 35 ought to be condemned and shut down. Of course, it is normally shut down. (laughs) Just a a prolonged parking lot. Uh, We drove to Dallas the other day, and like I said, they're they're no smarter up there. And Houston is a gong show. It's It's just a... And I get so mad driving. I just get mad, and, and I holler at people. They can't hear me. You know who the only person who hears me? is Tara, and Tara loves it when I yell at them. And she said, is everybody an idiot on the road? And the answer is yes. Maybe the one driving the car, this car is the biggest idiot. And I wonder, why, why do I have this rage? Why do I have this anger? And that one of my ancestors allegedly massacred 525 men, women, and children at Fort Mims, Alabama back in the 1800s. You think there might be a generational sin curse at work? Some of y'all just, okay. (laughs) I see his truck. I'm turning. I'm going to pull off. 
racism. Racism. In my family, we've had folks that own folks and folks that are owned by folks. Racism. Pride. Elitism. Entitlement. Do you not know if you're entitled or not? How do you behave when you don't get your way? Arrogance. Legalism. Uh, There's more on this list. Sexual dysfunction. Poor decision-making. Worry. Outburst of rage. False views of God. Gossip. Elitism. Gossip. Slander. Being suspicious. I could go on with the list, but I think you get the drift, right? These, all these things that kind of wash up, these things that come out of the blue, these things we don't expect, these things that, well, because we rejected God, because our families have, a, this has been allowed in us, and we need to recognize it so we can recognize it for what it is and move past it. Now, I've spoken on this topic a lot in the past years because I really want the churches that I've led, the people that I, I love, to be free from the curse but lately, I've got, I've got a whole other insight. I, I, my brother, who's a, a big-time theologian, big brain, been studying Johann theology, he and I had this discussion about Pastor John and what he wrote in the book of John. And he, John, through a, Jesus had an encounter with a blind man, and it really talks about generational sin. And I want to talk to you about it today. And I want to talk to you about it, not identifying and making a list, but to identify it and run to Jesus and be free instead of wallowing, wallowing in your brokenness to let the healer, Jesus, heal you. Because I want to say this about Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our healer. He's the one who sanctifies us, makes us like himself. He's also our coming king. He's our coming king. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you're going to say, and I pray that you will speak through me for your glory to these people that I love and that you love, and that we will, uh, we will be changed by your message of hope today, that we'll no longer be who we once were, but we'll be who you say we are. Help us, Jesus. Help us. Sinners, weakened, wounded, sick, and sore. Thank you, Jesus, that you're going to work in our lives. And I pray this in your strong name. Amen. Now, here's the first thought. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 9. We're going to be looking there. Also, I'm going to project the, uh, the, the, the Scripture passages up on the screen. And we're just going to kind of walk down through this. We're going to, uh, preachers call this exegetical. I don't care what you call it. We're going, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this piece. But here's the first thing I want to give to you. And I think this is, this is almost like, what? One of those thoughts. Jesus uses your brokenness to display his power. What? Do you mean my broken life, my sin and my depravity and my lostness, Jesus wants to leverage to display his power? Yeah. Because literally, you are or you could be a trophy of grace. Now just imagine yourself in heaven and the Lord's there in heaven and he, and, 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 he, and he picks you up by the nap of the neck and he holds you up 
And he shows you to the angels, said, you see this mess? I fixed it. I fixed that. What you think? They're going, wow. If you fix that, you fix anything. That's right. There's no one too broken that can't be fixed by Jesus. You cannot out sin God. You can't do it. I know some of you tried, but you can't do it. His grace is sufficient. His power is encompassing. Now, let me read this for you, and let's see how it fits with generational sin. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. Now, this was not an uncommon... uh, Jerusalem wasn't that big, and, and people who had physical malformations were well well known they stayed in the same place they did the same things and they saw this man and they knew his story everyone knew his story they knew he was a man who was born blind rabbi his disciples asked him why was this man born blind was it because of his own sins or the sins of his parents this is classic hebrew karma or eastern karma If you had a physical malformation, you were obviously the enemy of God. And you'd obviously had this physical malformation because you or your parents had done something catastrophically wrong and you were probably associated with evil. And we talk about karma, and I want to tell you something. We have Baptist karma. We believe if we do good, God will bless us and he'll give good. If we do bad, God will whack us and we'll get bad. And I want to tell you something, you don't ever get what you deserve. Whatever you get comes from the graciousness and the goodness of God. And who is to determine if something's a blessing or a curse? Only the Lord God himself. God has blessed me in plenty and he's blessed me with nothing. And the most blessed thing he's ever done is forgive me. Forgive me. And call me his son. And so they asked this question, which was a, a great question. And Jesus gives them an unusual answer. It's not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. What? That this guy had spent his entire life up into this place as an adult blind so God could show off. I why made him blind the day before and healed him this day? I mean, come on. Is this some kind of power play of God? Actually, this is what Jesus, this is what happened with Jesus. Because this man was more blind, he was unfit for community. He could not go into the temple. His family could not go in the temple. He was isolated out of biblical community. He was considered smitten of God. And Jesus was sending a message to his people, the, the Israelis, that it didn't work like that. That God could take your mess and make a message. God could take your brokenness and, and produce a healing. God could take your misery and make it a ministry. God has the ability to do these things. So he was setting him up. I'm sure that day when Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, he saw that guy born blind, and this is what he thought. Before I stepped out, and to nothing and created everything that was, I knew this day was coming. And there he is. This is the day. Bubba's going to get healed. You read the story of 
Zacchaeus in the Bible, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Some people think he was the shortest man in the Bible, but he's not. Nehemiah was shorter. But there was somebody else shorter than him in the book of Job. There's a fellow by the name of Shuhite. So he was... You're welcome. Okay. The account of Zacchaeus is interesting. Zacchaeus could not see Jesus, so he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the good Lord now to see. And Jesus... This is interesting. In, in the gospel account, it says Jesus was moving through Jericho, and he reached the spot. And in the original language, reach the spot, it meant the assignment of divine destiny where heaven and earth would touch. The kairos moment of the spot where he would meet Jesus. Reached the spot. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. For salvation is coming to your house today. I'm going to have lunch with you, and you will be a different man. And Jesus saw the man born blind, and he knew that in the divine destiny of his life that something big was going to happen. You see, Jesus knew that these disciples thought this was evidence of generational sin, and Jesus knew there was about to be a huge miracle that was going to flip their paradigm. Why? Because these arrogant Jewish boys were about to be sent into the world of the Gentiles where everybody was unkept, unclean, unwept, unburied, unmourned, unqualified, and they were going to bring Jesus to the mess of us Gentiles. All of us were unqualified according to those Jewish boys, but Jesus said the unqualified are now qualified because my grace is sufficient. Woo! Now, if you shot Baptist, you'd have shouted after that. And that Jesus worked in this power, in this place. You see, this man's brokenness was a pathway to God to do something that would bring him glory. I want to tell you, God knows your brokenness. God knows your brokenness. He knows how your mind works. For some of you, you're logical, and this thing of faith doesn't make any sense. God knows that. Some of you are emotional and you're tossed around on every wind of doctrine and you're high one second and you're low the next second. God knows that. Some of you are just apathetic and God knows that. Some of you are sleepy and go get some coffee. God knows that. He knows you. And we try to hide. This guy couldn't hide. Blind. Stick, dog, blind. But we try to hide. And we mask our brokenness with Christian jargons or fish on our back of our car or bumper stickers or T-shirts. Or, and we come to places like this and we look around and we say everybody in this room's got their act together. And the truth is ain't nobody got their act together, but Jesus has got us together so we can get his act working through us. And it's for the display of, of God's power. This gives me hope, this account, that it can heal and forgive me even in impossible situations and circumstances. There's nothing too hard for him. So maybe God's, maybe your generational sin is God's pathway to reveal his glory in your family. 
Maybe you come from a family of drunks. And God says, I want to break that with you. First time I taught on this was in Victoria, Texas. I was probably in my 30s, which was last month. And uh, I remember teaching on this, how God wants to change things in your life and launch the, the generational blessing, the thousand-generation thousand blessing. And a guy came forward afterwards, and he grabbed my hand, and he looked at me. He said, Preacher, I need to tell you something. I said, What? He said, I'm from a little town, and he named it there kind of further south in Texas. He said, The men of my family have molested the girls in my family for seven generations. There's been incestuous behavior for seven generations in my family. He said, I got seven daughters. It stops with me. It stops with me. My daughters will not experience this. Break every chain. Break every chain. And God used this guy. What we saw was a nest of it in a certain geographical region. God used this guy to say it doesn't have to be this way. We start talking about generational sin. We start asking questions like, what is it? Not the right question. Or who, who did it? You know, my family suffers from a genetic eye a vision problem. I have it. My mother had it. My niece has it. Um, mine's not as severe as theirs, but I had it. Um, it was because one of my ancestors contracted venereal disease. I don't know who. I also know that in my family, my mother says there's been a, pra- a Baptist preacher in successive generations uh, since the 1700s. Maybe that's a generational sin curse. I don't know. <laughs> Ain't nobody worked since the 1700s, you know. Um, I don't know. The question's not what is it or who, who did it. The, 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 the asking should be, can we go to Jesus? Can he fix it? Can he break it? Can he change it? Can he flip it? Can he use it? Um. And who could save us is of the utmost importance. And so this guy had an encounter with the healer. I imagine that morning when he got up, washed his face, found his tapping stick and his begging cup. He had no idea that today was the day that Jesus was going to heal him. But I guarantee the next morning when he woke up and saw the sunshine, he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus, and everyone around knew Jesus. Now, look at this. This is crazy what Jesus did. You know, Jesus, you, you read the Gospels, Jesus healed several blind men. He did it different most every time. Sometimes he touched them. Sometimes he prayed over them. Somebody just spoke the word. But this time, he did something really unusual. Let's read that, because I think in the unusual, in this sign, he's revealing something about his deity. Then he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and he spread the mud over the man's eye, and he told him, go and wash in the pool of Salome. Salome means sent. That's literally what it means. So he sent the guy to go wash. 
You know, when Jesus washes you, he heals you, he sends you out to tell the good news. On the back wall back here, we have four words, rescue, connect, equip, and send out, out in the foyer. Nobody's ever seen them. They're back there. Been there for three months. You just hadn't seen them. They're back there. Go. And actually, that's our disciple-making philosophy. If you come tonight, you'll hear more about it because it's time we lived out our philosophy. Would you not agree with that? Amen. Okay. So, sent. God saves you, heals you, to send you, not for you to sit, soak, sour, and stink. This room ought to be filled every weekend because you're filling it up with your friends because people come to Jesus best with the arm of a trusted friend. Come and see and let Jesus save them. We don't save anybody, but Jesus will save anybody, right? And he sent him. So Jesus chose an interesting way to heal this guy. Spit, mud, not a touch, not a spoken word, but spit and mud. Why did he do that? Now, here's a couple things I want you to consider, and this is just me talking, so just kind of, you know, deal with it. I think the first thing he did, he created urgency. He created urgency for him to wash because you really want to wash your eye out when you got mud in it, don't you? It's like he was motivated to go to the pool called scent to get the mud out of his eye, right? So I want to tell you something about Jesus. Jesus always puts the urgency in you before he does the work of mercy through you. Always. He makes your heart beat fast. He, you, have you ever had that time when that little voice in your head that sounds like your voice but it's not your character says, you need to do this? You, there's an urgency about you? It's Jesus. And he created this urgency with this guy and he went and he washed the pool. And could you imagine as he washed, light started appearing, I mean, he may not have had any eyeballs. And so Jesus just grew him some eyeballs. How hard was that for God? Not hard at all. I rolled up my sleeves intentionally today because I want to take you back to a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. It says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And that idiomatic phrase there, the arm of the Lord been revealed, is a great illustration. It says that this salvation that God has given us is hard work. He rolls up his sleeves to reveal his arms. Because in, in Psalm 8, it says creation is the finger play of God. Salvation is the work of God. And he's rolling up his sleeves to save you. And he creates this urgency with this guy's head. And he creates eyeballs and nerves and semiotics in his brain that had never, he didn't know what red was. Green or blue or, he didn't know what his mama looked like. God gave it to him and he saw he saw, but there was something that was so powerful in this. He, Jesus was making everything new in him physically, but he's also making everything new with him, get this, relationally. He was no longer an outcast. And spiritually, he was no longer the smitten of God, but the man who had been healed by God. Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Wow. 
made from mud. I love the fact. In fact, if you look through all of John's gospel, you'll see John writing about Jesus taking the practical and the physical and doing the miraculous to show his power. Water to wine. Fish into a feast. Blind to sight. Dead. Lazarus, come forth to life. A crucifixion to a glorious resurrection. King Jesus. Incredible. What Jesus was saying here, blind guy, it's not about you. It never has been. It's about me and what I'm going to do in you and for you so you can do something through, so I can do something through you is to bring me glory. I do not live for myself. I live for King Jesus. We do not live for ourselves. We live for King Jesus. This church does not exist for itself, for our care, our comfort, our convenience. It exists for King Jesus. This church is an outpost, a rescue center by the gate of hell for King Jesus. You see, Jesus is into complete healing. Notice what he does. When Jesus heard what had happened, what had happened is that the Pharisees got a hold of this guy and says, who do you think you are getting healed? It's Saturday. It's the Sabbath day. You ain't supposed to get healed on Sabbath. And they confronted him. In fact, they went to his parents and they threw him out of the city. They said, you can't even go. You, who, who do you think you are? You're supposed to be a blind person. Who do you think you are being a seeing person? God, I sound like church folks, doesn't it? You're supposed to be a reprobate. Don't you become a deacon. Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus answered, who is he, sir? And I would believe in him. I love what Jesus said. I think Jesus had a sense of humor. This blind guy said, you seen him. <laughs> you seen him. Here I am. And he said, and he is speaking to you, lest, yes, Lord, I believe. You know, with his acute sense of hearing, because he was blind, he recognized the voice of Jesus. He says, I believe in you. You're the one. And the man worshiped Jesus. And when Jesus healed this man, he cleared his family. They were welcomed back to the temple, except for the Pharisees. They, they, they're crazy hang-ups. You see, the root of his problem was not that he was blind. The root of his problem was that he was separated from God and God's people, and Jesus fixed that. I bet you when the early church started in Jerusalem, former blind guy was on the front row. I bet he was a small group leader. He probably married Martha 
and lived as Lazarus' brother-in-law. No, I'm teasing about that. That's just nonsense. Okay. You see, he didn't know Jesus until Jesus was introduced to him. And it's the same with us. And when he met Jesus, he responded as a worshiper. Spiritual healing erases the lingering curses of the past. I want you to look back at the sin curse. Look at the passage again. And I laid the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. I underline that, those who reject me. But, but, I lavish unfailing love. The King James Version says, but I bless, but I bless. I like this translation. It's a little stronger, unfailing love for a thousand generations. We can live under the curse of the two to three, of the three to four, or we can live under the fountain of blessing to the thousandth. And you can start that in your family today for those who love me and obey me. So it's time to look at you. Some Pharisees were standing nearby and heard him ask and said to Jesus, are you saying we're blind? Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. In other words, you're rejecting me. I want to ask you this. Are you, are you blind because of your past sins? Have you taken a look back at who you, who you are and what you've been and, and who you come from? Have you looked at that? What are you going to do? Are you going to live under the curse or are you going to launch the blessing? I look back at my family and, and I see that some of my my parents and my parents' parents and their parents' parents, they chose to love Jesus. And I live under the blessing. My daddy led me to the Lord. I live under the blessing. I want my kids to live under the blessing. Am I perfect? No. Gracious, no. But I want to be a man of blessing. And I want the thousandth generation to enjoy it. You know, because in 100 years from now, no one will know that I even lived. But will they know Jesus because I lived? What are you going to do? Do you want it all from Jesus? Do you want to move past your past? You see, because Jesus has freed me from addiction, from racism, from, from elitism, from entitlement, and from rage and from anger and from murder and lasciviousness. Jesus has set me free. The curse has been broken because Christ has been crucified and he's raised and he's borne me again into his kingdom. I'm no longer who I was. I am who Christ says I can be and now I can launch the blessing from here to eternity because Jesus has set me free. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms, my dear Savior. 
चिंता